The following podcast is not necessarily intended for children. So if you are a child, stop listening. Seriously, stop. Otherwise, the opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of the employers of these two podcasters. Now, prepare for your double feature. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Two Dudes, One Podcast, a brand new podcast in which two dudes have one double feature. Pretty pretty clever, huh? Pretty good? Yeah? 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 It's not clever, I'm sorry, okay? I think it just aptly... God. It, it just aptly describes our program. It, I mean, we didn't want to just, like, do metaphors or just, like, you know, just throw some nonsense. We wanted to just be blunt that there's two dudes... Myself, my name is Richard, hi, and then of course my co-host Joey, the other dude. Hey guys. And we're here to talk about a double feature, aka two stinking movies. You got it? Moving on. I'm sorry, I'm not an angry person. Are you okay though? How are you doing today? I'm alright, I'm doing pretty good. All things considered, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world right now, and so... One thing, if there's one thing I've learned during this uh, quarantine is that... As much as I thought I was pretty strong mentally, mental, mentally speaking, when you're put into a situation where a, you're a lot of stress and anxiety, some depression, all this stuff just kind of like puts a lot of weight on that. Long story short, when you're in quarantine, obviously, you know, you take care of your health, but also take care of your brain. Take care of that mental health. It's incredibly important. I don't mean to preach at the start of this, but it's something... I find very important. I want everyone to be good and feel good, and so, yeah. I hope I hope everything's going good for you. I'm good, but I, and I hope everything your way is going pretty good too. I mean, I'm employed. I'm working from home. I know I'll still have a job, uh, so I'm doing pretty great, all things considered. I do miss seeing my friends in person, but I know that day will come back someday. But some days are are definitely tough. Some days are tougher than others. Ultimately, you got to take care of your mental health, got to take care of your physical health. I've been going out for more walks, which has been very helpful for both. Yeah, you, you, you yeah, you told me about that. You were going to yeah, walk, it was, like in a park or something. Yeah, we're going or to something going to a park because we've got a lot of construction going on by my houses, but my house, I don't have more than one house. He's a rich white dude, so you know. You know, uh but yeah, go about for about a half Stuff. hour <laughs> get a, about, about a half hour just walking you know occasionally jogging listening to my tunes it's you know what and it puts you in a much better mental frame it's just it's good but definitely folks please you know maintain your social distance wear your masks you know and if you if you are out there fighting for a cause do it as safely and responsibly as you can yeah especially especially you know with all those protests going on you know definitely uh, I am definitely with you guys. Black Lives Matter. I see you guys wearing. I see a lot of the protesters wearing masks, so that's good. They're they're keeping in mind, obviously, that there is still a pandemic, but that's not going to stop the voices being heard. So that's good. So we wanted to get that out of the way because we are always thinking about these things. That was one of our main hesitations with starting a podcast: was thinking about everything else going on in the world, thinking would another thing like this be relevant? And you know what? We're just going to do it. It's fun, but it is also important to be aware aware of what's going on and to take care of each other exactly and all that with that said this is going to be our first film of the day we're talking about two films our first one is the 1998 blockbuster the mask of zorro starring antonio banderas anthony hopkins Catherine zeta jones and the bad guy 
from The Flash. <laughs> okay, so on The Flash, he plays the reverse Flash, but like the real one, because there's like the, the, the Tom Cavanaugh one, but then there's the real one. I haven't watched the show since like halfway through season three or anything, so I'm, I, I don't know if that's still the case, but yeah, he was on The Flash. Okay. <laughs> you know, uh, he, he's definitely on... The, I mean, all those people, they, they've gone on to do great things. They've done great things before this project. It really is kind of incredible to have that cast assembled. We often talk about a lot of, like, auteur filmmakers or, you know, filmmakers who are infamous and, and all that. Not, not on this show because it's our first episode, but, like, people think of, like, Michael Bay, Zack Snyder, Guillermo del Toro as, as an auteur... Edgar Wright as an auteur. But th this film, I, I think you just have a really, you have a really solid director who worked on this project. And that's Martin Campbell. Well, well, hold on. Okay. <laughs> I have a bone to pick with Martin Campbell. Pick that bone. And, and I'm sure you know where I'm going with this. I so. do. Uh, so, fun fact, this is kind of a story. Fun fact, I'd never seen The Mask of Zorro before. And I know you have because you've mentioned it before. It's one of your favorite movies. And if I am I wrong, but is is it your favorite superhero movie technically? Technically speaking, but I get pushback um, on what a superhero movie is. But we can get into that later. Let's talk about what you your bone to pick. Obviously, I was like, okay, you know, you you were talking about this movie, and you were like, this is something I think you should watch. And I saw who the director was, and immediately I'm like, if he if this is a good movie, I will be so mad because. If he could do well with one superhero character, why couldn't he do well with another? And I genuinely like The Mask of Zorro. I, I like it enough that I bought it uh, on 4K, even though I don't even have 4K, but it looked like it was like a cool new edition of it. But what, what, what upset me is that, you know, he makes a great Zorro movie, but Martin Campbell dropped the ball so hard on Green Lantern. What the actual hell? I mean, mind you, I'm a big DC fan. Green Lantern's one of my favorite characters, one of my favorite sectors of the DC universe. You know, there's just so many cool aspects to it. And for all intents and purposes, the Green Lantern movie should have been great. Because you had a competent, solid director who revived James Bond twice. Twice! Yep. Sorry, <laughs> he did it twice! <laughs> and then, um... You know, he does a great Zorro movie. I'm not saying every movie he's done is great. I mean, he did the sequel as well to The Mask of Zorro, which apparently isn't that good. I haven't seen it, so... But... It's not great. Yeah. It's not It's not great from what I've heard. <laughs> but, you know, he, he directs Green Lantern. He's got a, a, a charming uh, lead actor. A genuinely solid cast. Mark Strong, Peter Sarsgaard, the late great Mark, uh, Michael Clark Duncan, uh, Jeffrey Rush... And it's the movie's fairly accurate to the comics, surprisingly. Like for for all the problems that it has, it is fairly accurate to the comics. Mm -hmm. um, the people behind the scenes are all the people that do the CW shows, which, like those or not, you know, are very successful series of shows. And so, for all intents and purposes, the movie should have been good. But they not only did they drop the ball, but they dropped the ball and they kept kicking it while trying to pick it back up, and they never got it. It's just the movie was so bad, so it it hurts my soul that Martin Campbell does uh, wonderfully with Zorro, but he couldn't with Green Lantern. And now 
we're stuck in a position where we're probably not going to get another Green Lantern movie ever. And they have, and he, I mean, we're going to get a show, which I'm excited for, but it would have been nice to have a good Green Lantern. I mean, I'm sure that's a whole other conversation to talk about Green Lantern, but I just wish I had a Green, a Green Lantern movie that I was proud of. I mean, I do, but not in live action. So that's my rant. It's out there. We have Martin Campbell directing, and then we have a pretty much all-star, like the, your three leads, Antonio Banderas, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Anthony Hopkins. Antonio Banderas, like, this was during, like, his uh, Desperado days, his uh, his constant collaborations with Robert Rodriguez. He He's a star. Like, I know he hasn't been doing a lot much lately. I know he's um, been doing a few things, and he got an Oscar nomination not that long ago for, I think, a movie called Pain and Glory. Didn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, like, you know, he's doing, he's still doing really well for himself, but... You know, to go back to his old school action days, especially with a movie like Zorro, like I love, I love him in Desperado. I love him as that character, but I, I don't know. I really liked him as Zorro. Like he's just he's 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 got he's sexy, he's charming. Like if the, like he's got it all. He's he's the total package. Antonio Banderas. He looks great in a cape and a and a mask. Like, uh, it's just, I'm just saying. I can see why Catherine Zeta Jones was all over him in that movie. <laughs> and let's talk about their chemistry. I mean. Seriously. <laughs> Whew. I'll say this much. There's not a single sex scene in this movie. It is a sexy movie. It, the, the, the chemistry between uh, Antonio Banderas and Catherine Zeta-Jones is... Whew, you feel the heat. You feel the heat just pulsating from them. And it's just, it's just nice when you have like two attractive people on screen... And you're like, oh yeah, you two totally connect. This is this is gonna be amazing. And like, oh, when they when they had that uh, the dance sequence. Oh my god! Uh, in that like during that like party or whatever, like they're basically having sex. <laughs> <laughs> they're basically just doing it right then and there. With Anthony Hopkins, it, it's just it's kind of silly that he is playing a character named Don Diego de la Vega, and he's Anthony Hopkins. It's, I mean. This is this is a this is a classic example of whitewashing. That was that was the constant thing. I that was the constant thing I kept going. Like, wait a minute, is is he playing a Mexican? Huh? <laughs> what? And then he, what? Like that was the one thing I couldn't like like steer away from with this movie because I kept going like, there's Anthony Hopkins. He's totally white. <laughs> but you know, I think it it's a good it does because the again the tradition of these Zorro characters. A lot of them are just white guys playing the characters. I mean, you, you, Doug, Dougie, Dougie Fairbanks or Douglas Fairbanks, uh, you know, Tyrone Power, Guy Williams. You know what it makes me think of, though? What? There's an episode of Whose Line Is It Anyway? It's one of the more recent episodes in the revival. Two of the cast members were doing a skit where one of them was playing Tarzan and the other one was playing Jane. And it was really funny. And then afterwards... Um, uh, Ryan Stiles, who played uh, Tarzan in the skit, just says, uh, fun fact, most people don't know that Tarzan and Tonto are related. And then the host, uh, who is Aisha Tyler, uh, mentions that they're both vague racial stereotypes of, you know, who, of the people. And then, and then Ryan Stiles just goes, how do you stereotype a man of the jungle? <laughs> and then she just goes, why does a white man gotta be king of the jungle? And then Wayne Brady just bursts up out of his chair, <laughs> just like, thank you! <laughs> It's like I've been saying that for years, for years, and then uh, <laughs> and then he's just like going on a whole thing. Like I'm like, come on, 
And then he just goes, Johnny Weissmuller can kiss my behind. That's the first thing I thought of, obviously, when thinking of uh, uh, Anthony Hopkins. Or that, or uh, the fact that in Touch of Evil, Charlton Heston plays a Mexican. And you're like, huh? (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, it's certainly, you know, Hollywood. Hollywood still does some of that stuff today. And it it, it really... (laughs) Yeah, continuing off of that, off of classic Hollywood and, you know, the way the cast is and all that, one of the one of the most remarkable things about the movie are the action scenes, the action set pieces. Oh, it's so, it's so old school, because it, it doesn't rely, I mean, yeah, there's some CGI, but it doesn't rely on any of it, because there's, it's just old school stunts, sword fights, action sequences, it's not something like, like, Honestly, even like the sex appeal of the movie, it's not something we really get anymore in modern blockbusters or even superhero movies because they're so reliant on CGI, which sucks. And I know, I know there's some characters like the Hulk or Dr. Manhattan or some of these characters from, from the comics, you just can't do some of the stuff that they do without implementing some heavy CGI, but even so... There's just something great about classic stunt work. See the horse chase scene, where you see Antonio Banderas' stunt double doing gymnastics moves and like riding on two horses at once, and it's just no amount of CGI could ever be, in my opinion at least, could be ever be as impressive as something like that because that's a dude who's literally risking his life. He could he could have like gotten himself paralyzed or something, but he's he's doing this incredible stunt, you know, just just before our eyes. It it makes me think of like the John Wick movies and why yeah. those movies have been doing so well for themselves lately because they do harken back to like the old school style of film of filming action scenes where it is mostly stunts and choreography, the long wide shots, the the a beautiful long wide shots where you're actually seeing the action. I will never understand at all why quick cuts and over editing became the standard for a moment when doing action scenes i will never understand i blame the born movies (laughs) and it bled into so many movies i mean the taken movies are like the biggest criminal it's 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 absolutely horrible yeah that anyone thought to film action like that was a good idea like if you're going to use camera tricks you have to be inventive and i think a great example would be like lee winnell when he did Upgrade and The Invisible Man, like, the way he has the camera actually follow the action is kind of amazing and inventive. So I'm glad that they're learning better. Or even, like, Birds of Prey recently, Mm -hmm. which actually got the the director of the John Wick movies to do the fight choreography. Like, that's another great movie that just says, we need to show these action... We need to show Harley Quinn bashing these dudes with a baseball bat. And I think... That movie, and I just think that movie's underappreciated anyways to begin with. You just don't get anything like that anymore, and I hate it. Especially in Marvel movies. They don't, they, they, they rely so much on CGI. And to continue off of that, the old the old schoolness, and we've had this conversation before with, with different things. Like the last decade, the last 20 years or so, especially with television, with things like The Sopranos, uh, Breaking Bad, a, a few of the Marvel villains, and you know, some other other characters. I do like complicated characters where there is no clear-cut answer, but I also just miss purely good people having to face purely evil people. And let me tell you, the bad guys in Zorro are pretty darn evil. Oh, they're, oh dude, the, the one, the, the governor, whatever his name was, 
the the one guy yes just the when he when he montero montero yeah when the whole opening of the movie when he like kills the, uh, the guy's spoiler alert when he kills the guy's wife and then steals his kid and puts him in jail like like that's straight up out of like sweeney todd it's, it's insane i do think it's kind of interesting that they do try to give him some kind of a heart because when the soldier kills his wife, he kills the soldier. Right. Like, the, the governor does. But, like, this, the fact that he did that, like, on a whim and not, like, just, like, reprimand him or something, like, still kind of makes him evil. <laughs> yeah, dude, and he's holding, he's holding the baby in front of uh, Anthony Hopkins when Anthony Hopkins is caged up and everything. <sighs> and he's just like, let me hold my child. And he's like... She's gonna, she's she's gonna make a fine daughter or something or whatever he says, and he's like, or it's like it, it looks like her mother or something. Yeah, yeah, and then he just like walks away, and he's like, "No, you bastard!" Because <laughs> ah! that's how Anthony Hopkins talks. Yeah, that was a pretty good impression. Thank you. And then of course, um, Mister Reverse Flash, keeping like like preserving oh, heads and hands oh, and jars man. and whatnot. The freaking again. No wonder he plays the Reverse Flash on the Flash. No wonder. <laughs> He plays a very... They're both, they're both very good villains. And I also like that they bicker with each other sometimes, too. Mm. You know, like, like towards the end of the movie, he's just like, yeah, we got all forces ready. He's like, well, do, do you have the map? Uh, well, uh, no. And then why don't you have it now? Why are you so confident? I, I, like, I even like the bit when he's like, are you the guy that captured the, the, the bandit? That can't... The, the, the legendary bandit. He's like, well, he's hardly legendary. So you caught him. <laughs> <laughs> There's just something, like, fun and old school about... The Mask of Zorro that, you know, in, all, in almost all capacity, yeah, there's one there's one element that is a bit awful. Well, not a bit. Obviously, we talked about the, the whole Anthony Hopkins thing. But um, you don't really get movies like this, except these days when it's written by uh, Terry Rossio and Ted Elliott. Yeah. Who, coincidentally enough, wrote the screenplay for Mask of Zorro, and I didn't know that until you said that to me. And so I was like, you know what, that makes perfect sense. Because the movie constantly reminded me of our of our next movie, Pirates of the Caribbean: Curse of the Black Pearl, which obviously became their big franchise. They did all they did all all but one of the those movies, the screenplays, and they even did what else did they do? They did like Road to El Dorado, and I think they 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 did some screenplay work for the National Treasure movies. Uh, Aladdin was a big one. Shrek. Shrek. I think they did. The, they helped with the story for Treasure Planet. I think, didn't they? Yeah, you were mentioning that to me uh, me the other day. I'm not saying all their movies are perfect, but I feel like they, they, they get, they have an understanding of how this type of movie should work. Oh, for sure. I mean, just, just look at, obviously, adapting something like The Mask of Zorro and the way that they did it, but also just Pirates of the Caribbean in general. Like, they, they did some iconic stuff with those movies. Like, like them or not, especially... especially um, the way that they incorporated legends of the sea, like Davy Jones in the later movies, or I know, I know they're like kind of freaky, but even mermaids, yeah, like we got mermaids. Granted, they're like vampire Spider-Man mermaids, but they're there. <laughs> and I'm sure there's going to be some document someone's going to pull up to be like, well, actually, did you know mermaids in in uh, in popular culture actually like that? And I'm like, you know what? They are there. Sure. But also, if you watch, like, The Lighthouse with uh, Robert Pattinson <laughs> and uh, Willem Dafoe, apparently mermaids have vaginas now, <laughs> which is always... Mermaids be freaky. Which, is always, <laughs> which has always been the trope that, like, 
if if a man falls in love with a mermaid, like how are they gonna do it? I mean, it's it's a joke in in Futurama when Fry when Fry falls in love with with uh, the debutante in the sunken city of Atlanta, <laughs> and and they're getting ready to do it, and then he's like, "But how do you do it?" And then she's like, "Well, this." And she's basically describing it like the way fish do it, and he goes, <laughs> "I'm out. No, <laughs> no, thank you." <laughs> so. I mean, I guess I can't knock the the mermaids and in, in Stranger Tides all that much, but but it's just it's the point is it's great that they incorporated all of these kind of like sea legends in the pirates movies the way that they did, especially with that first one. They just knew to keep it like even though there are like fantastical elements and characters, they knew to keep it as old school as they could, especially with like the stunts and the action and whatnot. My question to you is before we fully move on to our second film. Would you recommend The Mask of Zorro to modern audiences? I would, but I know that the Anthony Hopkins thing would be brought up. And I know it's definitely, especially these days, something tough to get past. But regardless of that one point, I do like the movie. I do I do think it's like a classic, like old school blockbuster. And you know what? It is a superhero movie. Yeah, you know what? That was the other thing I wanted to bring up too. <sighs> Zorro is very much, to me at least, a pretty instrumental part or building block towards making superheroes. So I almost kind of retroactively count it as one, but I get pushback from people simply because Zorro quote unquote, isn't special. And my response to that was always, I guess, so Batman isn't a superhero. So there's like, we're not going to throw Watchmen. I get, we're not gonna throw some of the characters in Watchmen as superheroes because let me tell you something, except for Dan Dryberg's, you know, bank account and his inheritance or whatever, and his spaceship, He's not very special. He's less than special, I, I would no, say. I mean, he feels that way too. That's that's his character. Arc. That's his character. Yeah, I mean, Dan Dryberg. I mean, that's his whole this whole shtick is that he doesn't feel special. It's just it it seems kind of nonsense to not assume not to not say that he's a superhero because he he clearly is. He's got a costume, you know. He's clearly superior to a lot of the people he fights in combat, and he has a lot of tra- Zoro has a lot of training too. Batman has a lot of training. Yeah. And yeah, Batman has to face aliens, but I could tell you in his early appearances, he probably didn't have to face aliens in 1939, right? No. No? Right? No, no. It wasn't until like the 50s, I think, when he started actually, when aliens started popping up because they were getting a little bit stranger in the comics. Right. No, I I like, I like minus that one detail, I do like the Mask of Zorro a lot. I like it enough that I bought it. I own the, the 4K Blu-ray. Like, like I said. It, that says a lot. I wasn't expecting you to buy it. Yeah. And it was one of those things where it also surprised me too that you'd never seen it. So I'm glad you enjoyed the movie. I do like the fact that it did make me think a lot of of Pirates of the Caribbean because I like both of those movies. And so, and it just, it, it put me in a, in a really good mood because it, I wasn't having to think about a lot of stuff, and I, and I was just watching it and having a good time. It's good, it's good escapism. We're going to have to come back to that topic of escapism when we come back. We're going to take a brief, brief intermission. So go to the lobby or your kitchen, grab some snacks, and get ready for our next film.
Welcome to part two. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to part two of the first installment of Two Dudes, One Double Feature. We ended the first part of this podcast with the Mark of Zorro. Now we are talking about the Mask of Zorro. Thank you. Thank you. Get it right, nerd. Dude, there's only one difference between the letters. It gets... It, 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 you want me to come at you? It gets so annoying. Dude, I'll come at you. No. D- no. Uh, we're not breaking... I'm getting so aggressive. Listen, we're not breaking I will, quarantine. I will... <laughs> not, no, we shouldn't break quarantine. I will just let everybody know if my voice sounds stuffy, it's because it's allergy season and I just blew my nose at least eight times. Yeah, we had so... a we had a pause a couple times. So now you have that lovely image in your head of different uh, different cuts in this episode. And uh, I do believe you you uh, referred to my my nose blowing as topical, and I agree. <laughs> <laughs> it was literally the first thing I heard of when when we were starting to record. It was just. <laughs> <laughs> I'd do that, but I'd probably actually blow my nose, and I'm trying to, like, hold off. We're trying to hold off on that. Anywho, we talked about Mask of Zorro. Now we are talking about Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. Or as people like to refer to it as, The Good One. (laughs) Yes! (laughs) (laughs) The Good One. The good entry in 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 this franchise. Do you remember the first time you saw Pirates of the Caribbean? I saw it. July 2003, opening weekend, I believe, with uh, my mom, my brother, my aunt, and my uncle. And it was interesting, too, because my little cousin was was just born a month earlier. But yeah, July 2003, we saw it. And we saw it because we're huge Disney people. You know, we go, we try to go to Disney every year. And one of the most famous Disney rides is, of course, Pirates of the Caribbean, and that had been running for many decades in both Disneyland and Disney World and other parks around the world. And the movie came out 2003. We didn't know what to expect, you know. You didn't have much of a of a like a pre like you didn't have anything to to like set it off of to be like okay, well, because of this, this is probably going to be good or well, because it was hard because when you go on Pirates of the Caribbean now for you it's it's a little different because you when you first went on Pirates. You, you only know the Pirates with Jack Sparrow on the ride with the new red redhead and all that. When I went on Pirates, yeah. the redhead, it was still a bride auction. No Jack Sparrow. Um, there was no Barbosa on, on, the, on the boat in, in the ride. It was hard because it, there was, especially in the Disney World version, it's kind of hard to get a story out of it. Mm-hmm. And it just, it wasn't much, you're just looking at different pirate scenes. So it made the re-rideability much better, especially back then, because you got to hear different parts of different conversations, different pirates doing things. Whereas now there was more of a plot to it where you're going, okay, they're looking for Jack Sparrow. Like the mayor getting dunked is before they were looking for buried treasure, the pirates. Now they're looking for where be Jack Sparrow? Or something like that. They updated the ride back in 2000, uh, 2006. Uh, going back to the movie, I didn't have much expectation except, okay, there's going to be pirates. I assume there's going to be skeletons because there was a really cool teaser poster. And it's like a shot, an iconic shot of the, from the ride where you see the skeleton at the wheel of a boat, you know, steering through this crazy storm. And that's all the expectation in the world that I had. I can understand that. I mean, I didn't know much about the Pirates of the Caribbean. Definitely nowhere near as much as you as far as, like, Disney rides. I knew of some of them, like Haunted Mansion (laughs) and some of the other rides. I actually, I never, I didn't actually see 
Curse of Black Pearl in theaters. I've seen every other one in theaters, but that one. Really? Fun fact. Yeah, because I was was probably 12 when it came out. I don't know. It just I didn't really watch movies like that a lot. Like I watched like Power Rangers, and I watched like <laughs> I watched like cartoons and stuff. Like I'm still I'm still a giant child, but um. Like, as far as my taste in movies, I don't think it was near as, like, to that point where I would watch, like, something that looked old, I guess. Because that's kind of what it was. Like, Pirates of the Caribbean just looked like a movie that, like, my parents would want to watch or something. And I would just be like, nah. You know, I want, I want, I want, where's, what, I want something more fun. But then, like, obviously, you know, that year I was turning 13. So when you become a teenager, you have more, your, your, your mental capacity and your view of things starts to grow because you're starting to understand that the that the world is a little bit different when you grow up, you know that whole thing, obviously. And so, uh, eventually, the movie would come out on DVD, and my parents would watch it. I I'd watch it with them. I fell asleep the first time <laughs> because I was just like, again, I just couldn't get past this like mental wall that said, "Oh, this is just a movie for mom and dad. This isn't a movie for Richard." And so, um, uh, I just fell asleep, but then I, I watched it on my own and I was like, this is actually kind of dope. Like, it was like, there's like, they turn into skeletons and like the sword fights are actually kind of fun. And Jack Sparrow, I mean, listen, I understand he feels oversaturated, I'm sure, especially for like people like yourself who are like, who love like kind of the more classic version of the ride, maybe like still love the ride, but like love more what it was than what it became simply because, you know, Disney oversaturates stuff all the time. Regardless of that, it's it's a massive, massive, like, achievement to play a character, especially one that no one thought was going to do anything, especially when you were playing him, and they thought, what the, he- what the hell is he doing? Right. Mm-hmm. What, why, what is he doing? Why is he acting like that? The, the... Everyone else is going, Arr! And then, and then here's Johnny Depp just going, "Hello, <laughs> my name's Captain Jack Sparrow," <laughs> and there's like, "What?" But it turns out he made the smartest decision amongst all the other performers, and now Jack Sparrow is probably the most icon, one of the most iconic characters at Disney. Period. Or in any movie. Or in any movie. Biggest reason for that is Johnny Depp, and so like. So I understand again Disney oversaturates him, but you gotta commend that. Like that's a, that's an impressive feat to like become that iconic of it with a especially a brand new character this day and age. Because most like like as much as I love Robert Downey Jr., most of his portrayal of Iron Man steep is steeped from a source material. Whereas with Captain Jack Sparrow, completely new place. Johnny Depp didn't have anything to look at. He just said how do I look at pirates? And he said, well, they're kind of like rock stars. And what are rock stars? Drunk. But, you know, in addition to Johnny Depp, you know who else I, th- I think it's instrumental in helping with that performance is Gore Verbinski as the director. Talking about uh, GV. I call him GV. GV. Because we're close. You know? Good old GV. Because I do think you need a good director to know when to reel that performance in and, you know, kind of figure out how to how to make that work given the, how the rest of the movie feels like it's being played not all everything's being played straight because you 
of course you have like the Will Turner Elizabeth Swan subplot, which is like the romantic subplot, and they get to carry a lot of the main story on their backs. Mm-hmm. They're almost like they're they're almost like the driving force of the plot because like you know obviously I feel like we're 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 it's kind of like the whole dynamic like like you see in like Doctor Who or like the companion, but then the Doctor's so it intri- and like there's so many like crazy aspects and details that you kind of need that like normal character to vicariously live through them you know what i mean to experience that like larger than life character and so like i feel like will turner is like that character that we're supposed to like relate to and then see jack sparrow through his eyes yeah like i i I put it like especially in this movie will turner is the main character for all intents and purposes but Johnny Depp is the star. Yeah. Oh, he is the the most memorable part. Of, and that's not to take away anything from Orlando Bloom because he does a very good job with the character, but it's helpful that his character is for, you know, for especially in like you put it in comedy, like he's the straight man yeah. in this. And J- and Jack's like Jack's the funny guy. Somebody else I think who you agree is probably equally as brilliant as Johnny Depp in this movie, but also I think is in his mention often Jeffrey Rush as Barbosa. Oh, oh my god, like He's he's as iconic, I think. It, in a different way, he yes, yes. In a different way, yeah. Because I feel like he obviously he channels more like a classic pirate style. Like obviously, he even goes arg at one point. Yes. But the way he does it too is that he doesn't he doesn't like obviously you have Johnny Depp and he's he's doing his thing and he's doing it wonderfully. But then you got Jeffrey Rush who's kind of channeling that kind of classic pirate but he adds like like a like a stoicness or like a like a calmness like a like a scary calmness to it and then obviously the with with the writing like the wit like like those kind of long paragraphs like those iconic dialogue like i'm disinclined to acquiesce to your request means no you know like like those and and it's just Jeffrey Rush's delivery it's just you know he's he's fantastic right which is why they're in every single one yeah, I definitely agree. And I feel like it's one of those things where you would not you cannot imagine the movie without Johnny Depp or Jeffrey Rush. But I, I still feel like yeah, they're in every single one, but I feel like if you took if you took one of them out, it could still be a fun movie, but it just it would feel like there would be something missing. Especially especially because, you know, those two characters as the movies play grow like a bond, which is like almost like a friendly rivalry. Yeah. They play off together so well. Mm-hmm. Like, I love, like, it's it's not even, like, one of the more, like, iconic scenes, but just, like, the smaller scene in the first one when it's just Jeffrey Rush and Johnny Depp in the office, like, discussing the the deal that they were going to make as far as, like, like, you know, getting Will Turner and, like, breaking the curse and whatnot. But just, when you have those two actors and, and how well they are in their performances... You're just like the, the the synergy is beautiful. The 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 chemistry, the energy is fantastic, and even that even that it builds off as they're like going out uh, onto the deck, and then he's like, "I'm having a thought here, Babosa," and like he just tosses the apple after the whole conversation because you know he was obviously fiddling with it, and he hands it to him, and he's just like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To step away from the actors a little bit. The I think the action, the production value in this movie is top-notch. It's top-notch production. Oh my gosh. Because again, like, obviously with some of the things they do in the movie, they have to have special effects, but they keep it, they keep it old school with the action. 
it's like yeah it's it's an like there's a bit there's bits where the officers are fighting skeleton undead ghostly pirates mm-hmm. but they're still sword fighting and you still see the, the those beautiful shots and there's it's and it's just so well done probably my favorite scene and i think you might agree like as far as the action is the barbosa jack sparrow sword fight uh, at the end of the movie when it's revealed well, I mean, we kind of were hinted at it, but when it was revealed that Jack took a took one of the Aztec gold pieces so that he can become immortal when he's fighting him as part of his, like, plan. Yes. And so whenever they pass through Moonlight, you know, Jack's turning into a skeleton, then he's normal, then Barbosa's turning into a skeleton, then he's normal. Just that the imagery is and the way that they do it is so great. And I even love the line when Barbosa's like, so what now, Jack Sparrow? We be two immortals locked into epic, locked in an epic battle until Judgment Day when trumpets sound. And he's like, or you could surrender. And you know what? To think like the special effects, like especially with Jack and uh, Barbosa, it's almost a twenty-year-old movie, and I forget that sometimes. It's over. Oh, it's like seven. I think it's like seventeen years old now. Two thousand. Yeah. That was that. Make sense? Yeah. Seventeen-year-old movie. Not a priority right and the, now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. One of the other things I really admire about this movie is that I know in the Haunted Mansion movie, uh... there is a whole sequence where everybody's favorite scene in that movie is where it's like the grim grinning ghost scene where it, it feels like dr- straight out of the ride. You Whereas up the Haunted Mansion movie, but I, I bring it up because if I'm, I think it came out like I think it came out in the same year or like a couple months later or whatever. I'm sorry and, to interrupt. But I just uh, I can't stop thinking about it. This is horrible. But I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna slap it away. Don't worry. Okay. Basically, like in Pirates of the Caribbean, there are very few references. There's a few references to the ride. Okay, mm-hmm. and they're they're blink. They're, they're like they you have the, of course the dog with the keys and the goes here puppy here puppy or whatever or the scene if you know in the Disneyland version when the the skeletons drinking wine. And you see the wine just spilling, through, pouring through their body. Barbosa, the same same thing in, in the movie. But the, the references are not like entire sequences. They don't substitute as you know, gr- you know, substitute great storytelling or anything like right. that. They're able to craft their own story for the most part and, and make it something really interesting, yeah, separate no. from the ride. Um, but again, I don't I don't know so much. I know more now because I've been. Odd both rides, which I recommend them. They're fun, <laughs> but it is it is nice that, like, for all intents and purposes, Pirates of the Caribbean: Curse of Black Pearl, while very much based on the ride, is its own thing. Right. Whereas, like, the Haunted Mansion movie, oh, I had to say it. <laughs> oh God, that movie is another movie that hurts my soul. That movie, I feel like that movie kind of knows that it sucks. Yeah. So it tries really hard to be like, hey, remember this from the ride? You remember this? With the, the busts and they sing? That's fun, right? Yeah? And you're just like, no, I'm not having fun right now. You're making me watch uh, another one of those Eddie Murphy, I'm too, I'm too wealthy and successful to hang out with my family movies that he constantly did at that time period. Daddy Daycare... I know he did more, so I, I'm sorry I'm blanking, but it was a common thing that he did. And I know I, I know they tr- like they tried with the Haunted Mansion movie to some degree, but it just it didn't work near as mm-hmm. well. Again, I think a lot of that is attributed to Gore Verbinski 
to Johnny Depp and Jeffrey Rush, to the screenwriters, and just them understanding that they needed to do something that was a new experience while also honoring the ride. It's like going back to like The Mask of Zorro. Like there's certain things you expect in in a Zorro movie or in a Pirates movie, and they do that. They give you that tenfold while also giving you something new. And I feel like that's another thing that's kind of missing from movies a lot lately is just this idea that fans have to be given every single thing that they want and that's it. And it's like, no, that's that's not even near the correct way to do something like that. Right. You, you give us, you give them what they want, but you also give them something that they need. Or something that they didn't know that they wanted in the first place. Exactly. This is going to be a controversial. Oh, God. The Last Jedi. I feel like people are just turning off this podcast now. <laughs> They're only like, like, shut this off. Ugh. I'm here to tell you something. The Last Jedi gives you everything you would ever you would you sh- you would want in a Star Wars movie, but also it gives you something you didn't know you needed. And I know that's a controversial thing to say because I mean I know The Last Jedi is a rather divisive movie, and people will probably bring up like uh, the whole Luke Skywalker thing or any of the other various things they don't like. But in my opinion. It's a movie that gave me everything I would want in a Star Wars movie, but also gave me things I didn't know that I wanted. And I'm sure there's other examples that are that are better for some people, but that's my example, so I'm sorry. I'm not really sorry, but there you go. You just you just became the favorite you just became the favorite host after that. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure of it. Listen, I'm gonna bur- I'm gonna I'm gonna you know, I'm just gonna say I also pretty much agree with you with that example specifically <laughs> but this is also not a this is not an episode about the last jedi that, that that'll be coming i'm sure but this is about pirates uh this is this is an episode you know what that would be that would be an interesting one this is about uh the mask of zorro and pirates so what lessons can we take away from these movies or what what draws us to these movies specifically why did we pick these two movies as our first episode i'd like to think it's because it's summertime and like I was, and you know, we, I think, especially nowadays, I think we, we really need escapism and we really need to just kind of get away for a second that like, they're like movies are, can be an important tool to like show us and teach us some real genuine life lessons. And I don't like, I remember I had a conversation with a friend of mine and he was like, oh, I, I hate escapist type movies or escapist, escapism type stuff. Or at least he said he, he doesn't like them as much. I genuinely love stuff like that. Because, you know, as much as I, I, I try to keep myself informed and I try to keep myself in real life, when you're in a tough situation, especially right now with all the stuff that's going on in the world, you really need movies that will just take you away and just just let you have a good time because you don't need to constantly be like in a state of like moral ambiguity or like an ethics conversation in your own head when you're watching a movie, especially a blockbuster, which as much as I do like it and it works in some capacity, depending on who makes whoever, whatever it is, it's okay just to like sit down and just, just have a great time. I was watching a Patrick Willems video on, which is, which, you know, he does a really great video on the mask of Zorro actually, where he was talking about realism and how it's become such a big important thing. Like I was talking about like a big important thing and how so many movies are trying to be more realistic. And there's this idea of realism versus formalism. And formalism is kind of like dying out a little bit because movies are too afraid to like go that way. Like movies like Speed Racer or like Pacific Rim, like movies that know what they are, that 
still have that that core human element to them, but just happen to be cartoonish and outlandish and exciting. People these days, unfortunately, feel like that's a problem, and it's not. I think with these two with these two movies, you had a perfect amalgamation of director, writers, cast, um, behind the scenes crew, and stuntmen, costuming, and they work so hard to bring us these these larger larger than life adventures that we don't always need a computer to create. I mean, obviously, Pirates has more definitely has probably has more digital effects than the the Mask of Zorro, but it still feels like a very tangible experience that's also elevated. But I also think too, it's important to watch movies critically and think about how they relate to us, how they relate to our mental state, how they relate to the world at large and all that. There's greater conversations to be had, but there's also nothing wrong with with certain movies just being a damn good time. And there are few movies that do that as well as uh, The Mask of Zorro or the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Exactly. Open yourselves up and understand that even though it might seem like a cartoon, it's okay to have a great time. Sometimes that's all you need, especially when it's done by someone who is very good at their job. <laughs> Any final remarks? Any final thoughts, uh, Joe, Denny, Dan? Honestly, I think that about wraps it up for this week's double feature. Sounds fantastic, my friend. Anyway, if there are any suggestions, any any thoughts, or any if you want to add to the conversation, we don't necessarily know at this point in time where we're uploading this, but if there is a comment section, by all means, apply it. If it's on YouTube, if you're listening to this on YouTube or wherever, any of our social medias, let us know if you have any suggestions for some double features. Also, what are your thoughts on, on the Zorro and, of course, Pirates of the Caribbean? And what are some of your favorite kind of classic style, just straight up fun movies what are movies that you just have fun watching period let us know and of course stay safe stay healthy and we'll see you guys another time have a good night thank you for listening to two dudes one double feature the sponsor for today's episode is none other than aglets the plastic bit at the end of shoelaces. The music for the podcast today was brought to us by none other than the breathtaking duo of John and Kenny Armstrong. Two dudes would also like to extend our deepest gratitude to none other than Andrew Gifford and Alex Ford for helping them get their feet off the ground. And as always, be good to each other.